This presentation is from UX Australia 2020, day three. Our next speaker is Ali. One of the things that came out in Dan's talk with us yesterday morning, and a couple of questions touched on this idea of what happens when you touch on a sensitive topic um, in your research or in your engagements with uh, a participant. Ali's going to give us a deep dive into that topic. Ali joins us from the Bikinia Foundation. Good morning, Ali. Hello, hello, Steve. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. We, we are ready for you when, when you are ready. All right. Let's see if I can share without stuffing it up. Good. Thank you, Steve. Um, thank you, UX Australia. And thanks, everyone, for coming. Hope you're all well. Uh, I'm dialing in from Brisbane. I work at the Leukemia Foundation, as Steve said. Um, so there I manage our corporate digital channels, like our website, as well as search mediums. So you may know us as the charity behind that little fundraising event. You may have heard of it, <laughs> World's Greatest Day. Um, but we also provide free services like accommodation, information, counselling, support groups to people living with blood cancer. Um, and we also fund research in programs into blood cancer like leukemia, lymphoma, myeloma, as well as related blood disorders. So our website is obviously a well-visited resource by people living with blood cancer, as well as our wonderful fundraisers, donors, volunteers, and our other partners. And a recently completed website redesign project is the driver for my talk today. So in 2017, uh, the Leukemia Foundation of Queensland and Australia merged to become one national organisation. So over the next year or so, our service delivery changed as it became national. And in that time, we also conducted research with a lot of external stakeholders that showed their digital needs and requirements had changed in that time too. So a website redesign was necessary. We worked with Sydney agency Marlin throughout the project. Uh, kicked off in early 2019 with a very thorough research discovery report and this research was able to inform the development brief and it guided our design and IA. So after research, design and development followed and we went live in mid-July 2020. Yes, I had a long holiday at the end of that. <laughs> and just a quick peek, the before and after, we've got the old homepage on the left new homepage on the right, so a little bit of a difference there. Okay, looks pretty. Tell me about the UX, I hear you say. Of course, that's why you're here. Okay, let's get to it. So throughout the project, we did three rounds of user interviews. Um, phase one was early in the discovery phase. Our agency conducted, you know, Q&A type interviews with our users and our staff. And the aim here was to really find out how people use the site, um, what information they got from other sources, how they interacted with the foundation in general, and then, you know, more of a sense of their demographics and who they were. Phase two was in early design stages, and in conjunction with our agency, we tested a prototype with some users. So the goal here was really to ensure that the wireframes were solid and, you know, design and structure were on the right track. Finally, last round, we did usability testing on, you know, the 
99.99% finished site. Uh, it was about three weeks before we went live and we conducted this in-house. So this round of testing was to both, you know, iron out any really glaring issues that we could fix prior to go live, as well as give us a sense of any tweaks or any further testing we might want to look at shortly after go live. So why am I here? Why am I giving a talk to you nice people? Well, we saw pretty early on that a standard approach, you know, that's pretty typical of a lot of interviews, just can't apply to our project. And the reasons here were twofold. So the first is that our product is a blood cancer support and information website. So immediately, you know, there's challenges there that probably aren't typically faced by, you know, a retail or a food services product. Um, you know, take shoes. So a typical user task for an online shoe store, um, you know, could begin with like, you've just bought a pair of shoes. Okay, but if you apply that line of questioning to our product, you know, it becomes something like, you've just been diagnosed with cancer. Hmm. So maybe you or I could play along, pretend, okay, I'll imagine that's happened. Um, but, you know, we're asking our users, remember? And that's the other reason. So our users all have very, very different backgrounds. Some are married to someone with blood cancer, or they have a baby with blood cancer or some of them actually have just been diagnosed with blood cancer. So all of a sudden, you know, that typical line of questioning just doesn't feel right. So doing testing with people affected by a life-threatening illness really needs to take a few things into account. It needs a different approach. So I'm going to share what we learned. Um, hopefully it may be suitable for some of your projects as well. Now, obviously, it's probably going to be most applicable to pro products that are related to health. But, you know, I think there's also going to be learnings if you're working really on any subject matter that could be sensitive or traumatic for users. Okay, step one, do your homework. <laughs> so good old Steve Krug, he said, recruit loosely. As in, you know, start by loosely recruiting from a pretty diverse audience and then gradually focus in. So you might think, okay, fine. Recruit 10 patients, doesn't matter what diagnosis they have, they're patients, they're users of the site. Well, yes, this is technically true, they're site users, but like with many health-related issues, blood cancer is really not a black and white thing. So we've got some patients who are in an acute phase, they're really in the middle of really grueling treatment. And then you might have some patients who are in a chronic phase. So they might not actually be receiving treatment at all, and they're just, you know, to an extent going about their normal lives. But then within these two broad patient groups, you've even got more subsets. So you could actually have a chronic patient who might not be undergoing treatment, but, you know, they're paralyzed with anxiety because of the constant what ifs that they face each day. What if this is the day that their doctor tells them their cancer has gotten worse? So it was important that we did our homework. Uh, we made sure we weren't recruiting anyone who was in the middle of very intensive treatment or, you know, had just been diagnosed like a matter of weeks ago. And homework also helped us to understand where people were at on their journey. So if we were going to be talking to someone who had lost someone to cancer, having that information helped us ensure, you know, if we're asking any questions about finding grief information, 
that the questions were going to be tactful. So similarly, knowing whether someone was the care of their partner or their child or their friend, that helped us craft interview questions to ensure we weren't unnecessarily causing them any distress. We also made sure we weren't recruiting anyone who'd been faced with any other, you know, additional major life stresses recently, you know, losing a job, personal challenges, things like that. So I think the UXPA, they sum up the point of homework really nicely. Um, it's actually in their code of professional conduct. There's a section that states, UX practitioners shall not expose participants to any unreasonable physical, mental or emotional stress. I think that really sums up really well. You know, that's it. That's the name of the game. Okay, number two, tweak your questions. So for our first two rounds of testing, we revised the interview questions quite a bit from their initial form. So the aim was really to take, you know, our homework into account. Um, plus, of course, features of the site we wanted to test, any hypotheses we had that we wanted to prove. And in some cases, we did slightly tweak a question depending on whether we were talking to a patient or non-patient. Now, don't freak out. We still kept the objectivity in there, okay? We were careful not to skew results or lead people down a certain path. So we'll get into examples and I'll show you how we did that. Okay, so one initial question was, you have been diagnosed with a blood cancer. Find information on how to manage work. So this can be a very confronting question. For some people, you say those words they're instantly transported back to when they first received that news. And, you know, it's also a bit weird to say that to a patient. You've been diagnosed. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously. <laughs> so in testing, we changed this question for patients to reflecting back to when you were first diagnosed. So it's, it's a very simple tweak. We're really just changing the verb instead of you know, you have been, you are, imagine. It's reflecting or thinking back. It's the same question. It's just a little bit softer. And, you know, it acknowledges the obvious. You've been diagnosed. They know, we know they have. They know they have. So for a non-patient, asking this question is more around just sort of introducing it a little bit differently. So something like... I'm going to ask you to put yourself in the shoes of someone who has just been diagnosed with cancer, find information on how to manage work. So even though, you know, they're not a patient, I mean, there's no need to launch straight into a really blunt question. Um, you know, we're not, it's not a billboard that we're making designed to elicit donations. We're talking to users one-on-one. -on -one, so I don't think there's any harm here in making it more conversational. So the intent and the direction with the two questions is still the same. We're not leading them. We're just really reframing that backstory. Okay, so another example, and in some cases, like with this next example, it's just a matter of really simplifying the question. So we started with, you're worried about the impact your diagnosis will have on your finances. Find information on how you'd manage your finances. So this question, look, it's probably okay for a non-patient. Um, you know, I think it's useful for them to see that link. Okay, a diagnosis can impact on finances. Okay, cool. 
But for a patient, we wanted to simplify it. So we changed it to, can you show me where you'd find information on managing your finances? Or it could even just be something a little bit different like, as you know, a diagnosis can have an impact on finances. Can you show me where you'd find information? I mean, a patient knows that a diagnosis has an impact on finances. And, you know, having wording like, you are worried, it's kind of redundant. Is anyone ever actually happy about needing to find out about an impact to their finances? I mean, maybe if you've won the lotto, that's probably um, the only positive scenario in which finding out an impact to your finances would be a good thing. So, you know, we're, we're avoiding stating the obvious in this example. Okay, final example. This one was for carers that we were talking to. So initially the question was, you're looking after your partner who's being diagnosed with a blood cancer. Find out if there is any support for you. So we knew that some of our interviewees are the carers of their partners. So again, we didn't need to state the obvious. So instead we softened it for them and we added that introduction. So it changed to, as you know, it can be challenging to care for a loved one. Now we are pushing it here a little bit because we're injecting a little emotion with the word challenging. But, you know, I think that acknowledgement is actually quite a useful tool in helping build that rapport with interviewees. Um, you know, some of you may remember, like Dan said yesterday in the opening session, you can frame the question in a way that shows users that you do understand. Okay, so moving on to step three, view your prototype with a different eye. So if you're testing with a prototype, this is for when you're nearly ready to rock, you know, wireframes are on point, Envision or Axure or whatever it is you're using is working perfectly. So just take one moment, review that prototype from the point of view of your user. So we actually had an interviewee, um, a patient who was really excited to be involved, they actually said to me beforehand, look, can you make sure there's no stats or, um, you know, cancer figures on the prototype? I actually find that really upsetting. And this was a big eye-opener for me. It's something I hadn't even, hadn't even thought of. And, you know, obviously we can't control what people see on the internet. Um, once the site's live, we, we can't control that. But for, for the prototype, I mean, it was such a simple request and it wasn't going to impact on our test results. So why not? You know, it was super easy for me to just quickly scan that prototype, make sure that any placeholder copy didn't contain any stats and figures. So, you know, just keep in mind, is there anything on that prototype that could actually distract or even upset users during testing? You know, maybe you've just quickly chucked some text or a random image in there thinking, whatever, it's just the prototype, it'll do. Well, you know, maybe just have one last look. Okay, number four, be a good human. This is an easy one. I'm sure you're all good humans already, of course. Okay, so some tips here. Build a rapport prior to the interview. You know, it's, it's an easy thing to do but it's really gonna make a difference, I think, throughout the life of the project. 
So if possible, make sure that user has that one same point of contact through from recruiting, through to the interview, through to that thank you call at the end. Um, maybe you're working with an agency and they're running the interviews. That's cool. Maybe can you have a staff member from your organization sit in on those interviews? Um, and maybe that staff member could even do introductions at the start between you know, the agency and the interviewee. Even better, if this staff member is the same person who's been that point of contact for the interviewee from the beginning. Um, and another advantage here of sitting in is you'll also get to see firsthand if there are certain questions that maybe aren't suitable or should be reworked for future sessions. Uh, other tips, so be flexible with taking breaks, obviously, you know, goes without saying, like with any test session, don't schedule interviews back to back, allow more time just in case. Reassure interviewees at the start of the session, um, you know, it doesn't hurt to let them know if anything's triggering, you can stop and take a break, no big deal. And I think also consider if you do encounter a user who does get a bit upset or expresses concern about something, let a relevant staff member know after the interview. You know, these interviews can dredge up lots of feelings and history for people. We did actually have an instance in our first round of interviews where a user got pretty upset in the interview. Um, so afterwards, I actually did pass that on to someone in our support team to just let them know, maybe they want, might wanna reach out to her, see if she needed any extra support. Um, can't always also hurt to touch base with the interviewee a day before or maybe even a day or two before. We had an interviewee um, also in the first round who had been fine to participate the week prior, you know, all good. Um, but when the interview day came around, it just hadn't been a good couple of days for her. And that was really a lesson for us to check in the day before. Um, you know, emails, they're super convenient for setting up times, obviously, but it also, I think, helps if someone can at least talk to the interviewee at least once on the phone before that interview day. You know, you can pick up a lot more verbally and gauge how someone is actually feeling. Last one, bonus round. Okay, so just a few more quick learnings. Use your colleagues. So if you're at a charity or in a human services organization, you probably work with health or other industry professionals in some capacity. So use them, run questions by them, get their feedback. You know, if it's appropriate, maybe if you're dealing with a really tough subject matter, see if one of them wants to sit in and then maybe they can offer advice on the next interview. Um, do a dry run interview with them. They really are a wealth of information and insight into your users. And, you know, it's something I'm very appreciative of at the Leukemia Foundation. Our support department has lots of staff members with an allied health or nursing background, and they've really been invaluable throughout the whole project. Close that loop. So circle back to your interviewees and thank them. Um, goes without saying. <laughs> um, also, if, it's test, if they're testing something that's not quite live yet, let them know once it's live, you know, maybe just shoot off a quick personal email rather than just letting them see something random on your social media pages like everyone else. And look, finally, I think the key takeaway to remember throughout your whole project is this. So for a lot of users, the scripts you're running with them, it's their real life. 
you know, dealing with something like cancer or another, you know, difficult issue, people could probably do with a break from thinking about it every now and then. So they're actually taking on that extra mental load for your project in a time when they've already got so much in their head. And that's it from me. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. We have uh, one question for you, um, and we have time for that question. I'll just uh, quickly read it out. Um, it's from Becky. Can I ask, I understand why you didn't recruit people who had been recently diagnosed, yet this can be the time when people are most desperate for information and may use your site differently than they will later on. How did you ensure you were meeting the needs of newly diagnosed patients while respecting their privacy at that time? That's a great question, Becky. Um, look, I think in, in, for this particular project, we probably felt, um, I guess, that we were a bit safer to exclude these recently diagnosed patients because in a previous um, research project, we had talked to a lot of recently diagnosed. So I think that probably definitely helped. Um, but I think in the future, if you do want to talk to people who've recently been diagnosed, definitely having those connections with uh, the relevant support staff or health staff in your organization are a huge help because, you know, often they're talking to those patients, you know, the day after they get diagnosed or they're seeing them in the hospital and they can really give you that insight into, look, don't go there or yeah, they, they'll actually need this at the moment. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, uh, Matt has a, a, a quick question for you, which is, um, I'm keen to get your experience on language such as cancer survivor. I've oh. seen or heard mixed feelings about that label. Ah, oh, yes, yes. Um, that, so I've worked in a, a few cancer charities over the past decade, and it's, it is fascinating how in each one, um, the, the external the, the patients and carers, they each prefer different terminology. Um, so in uh, years ago, I worked at a prostate cancer group and they like the term consumers. I worked with Ovarian Cancer Canada and they loved the term survivors. At the Leukemia Foundation, I think over the past seven years, I have heard several different terms. We um, try not to say survivors because I think for a lot of people, the word survivor some people assume you're done, you know, you're good, you're cured. And it's like, yeah, there are still a lot of late effects and post-remission effects that people have to deal with that, that are, you know, really, really hard. Um, I think at the end of the day, be guided by your users, be guided by those health um, professionals who work with them. And maybe don't be locked into thinking of that one particular word. Um, so even, I mean, I know I've always used the word patience a lot in this presentation, but we do typically refer to people as people living with blood cancer, um, because I think that also is a wider term that acknowledges there are patients, but there are also carers, family, friends, people in remission, people who have lived through it. So look, so to, sorry, that was a very convoluted um, answer. Um, yeah, look, I think at the end of the day, yeah, I'm guided by what the stakeholders are looking for. But in general, in my experience working, I have found very few people do like the word survivor. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you.